So there's not going to be waiting in today. We're just going to jump into it. Is everyone okay with just diving in? Can cannonball? <laughs> Cannon bucks or whatever that stupid commercial is. So Lord, we thank you. Why don't you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing today. I thank you because your presence is here and you are faithful, God. <laughs> you are faithful. Say he's faithful. So God, we ask right now that you would begin to stir up a spirit of wisdom and revelation, God, that we may know you better. Why don't you pray that with me? God, I ask you <laughs> to stir up within me a spirit of wisdom and revelation that I may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Kyle, if you would, would you throw up the... Um, I've got slides because we've got a lot going on here today. This, this is a topic that we've kind of gotten into on uh, Wednesday nights, but um, this is not something that, that uh, we, this is something that everyone needs to hear, something everyone needs to be a part of, and uh, we, we felt la at the end of last year um, that we really needed to get really good at the basics, but everyone say amen to that. <laughs> um, I w I'm going to use this analogy again, forgive me, I'm a sports person, so I think in sports and outdoor stuff. I want a church full of Tim Duncans, and I'll explain that for those that don't know. Tim Duncan is Mr. Fundamental. He is boring, but he is amazing, and he has rings to prove it. I'm not a Spurs fan, and I really don't want to like the guy, but if you ask the people in the NBA, who's Mr. Fundamental, everyone knows it's Tim Duncan, because he does all the basic things that you're supposed to do. So he's never had major injuries with his knees and stuff, because he doesn't do the crazy alley-oops and all the dunking and all that. He just gets the ball and puts it in the basket, and he makes it look really boring and easy, but why should the game be difficult? So that's the way he plays. And I would love to have a church full of Tim Duncans that we may not be flashy, but we do the basics really well. We're people of prayer. We're people of presence. We're people that treat others well. And I want us to be so good at those things that when God highlights a gift inside of us, that it has something to set on and rest on. Because gifting without character, it's futile. We've got that on our website. To, to be gifted but have nothing f to support it. The gift will crush you. The gift will kill you. When I was younger, um, again, I'm, I'm a fifth, sixth generation pastor. There's arguments in my family, so I'm going to say fifth, sixth, five, sixth. <laughs> We're, I've, I've, this is all we know. Everyone in my family, that's what we do. And so um, you, you have this, these things that are just born in you, you don't know why. And so I would sit around as a teenager and use my gift of discernment to see people's problems. I'm, this is terrible. I'm, I'm using an example. I had no character, but I had a gift. So I would sit in restaurants, and, and people would come to eat or whatever, and I would just, you would read them. You know what I mean? Like you have that prophetic reading, but it's in the gift of the wrong side. It's, it's accurate what you're saying, but it's not really the way God wants to operate. And so I had a gift that was futile. It was wasted. It was wrong, it was judgmental, because I didn't have the character yet, and the love for people that comes with the gift. And so, I think a lot of us can say, we've looked through our lives, and we've seen that we have gifts in areas, and where we make a lot of messes, it's because we didn't have character. It wasn't because of the gift. So, what happens a lot of times is, we have a gift that's amazing, and we make a big mess with our gift, we're like, oh, I'm not going to use that gift, because it's a mess-making gift. But it's really not. The gift in itself is not bad. It's not evil. And that's why the scripture says that God's gifts and his callings are without repentance. Like he, he doesn't regret giving us those gifts. And we prayed it over our kids. They may be in raw form. So what we, what we have to do is instead of working on the gift, we work on the character. We work on the discipline. We work on, am I teachable? Am I, am I accountable to people? <clears throat> So we're going to get into some stuff today. It's going to be fun. I'm going to go as quickly as I can. And uh, if you want to open your Bible to 1 John 4, if not, you can read it here. Um, and I, I do want to say I have notes. Actually, can we, let's go ahead and pass them out. If you want notes, we, I think I've got about 50 copies here. You can, I usually don't do this, but you can read along. Because um, I want to talk about testing the spirits today. And I also want to talk about like soulish things, and so we'll get into this and go for it. Should have done that earlier. 
Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> well, while they're passing that out, let's go ahead and read uh, the text for today. It's in 1 John 4, verse 1, and it says, Beloved, beloved, <laughs> do not believe every spirit. Why don't you say that with me? Do not believe every spirit. And he tells us what to do. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why don't you say that? Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And then he tells why. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, I, this, is, this is what I want to I drive home today. This is a foundational thing that you and I need to be very um, excellent in. It's the gift of discernment. And I really pray that as we grow as, as a church, that our gift of discernment grows faster than any other gift that we have. Did everyone hear that? I, I love prophecy. I love words of knowledge. I love faith, miracles. I love all of that. We want it to all happen and increase. We want it to happen so much that we can't keep track of all of it because it's everywhere. Just miracles, signs, and wonders. But without the discerning of the spirits, then we're going we're gonna to set ourselves up for a big stumble or a big fall. Because in the last days, the Bible says that the enemy would come in and try to deceive even the very elect. If it's possible, he'll try to deceive them. And, and I, I know that you are aware of the things going on in society, but the morality of our, our culture has been ebbed away so quickly. Like it started off slowly back in you know, the early 1900s, but it's starting to happen so quickly where you, you can't say there's right or wrong anymore in our culture. So the church has to really be a contrast to the world culture. We have to be a contrast. We, we can't be the same. We can't be the same color but a different tint. We have to be a complete polar contrast to darkness. We have to be the opposite. And, and what's difficult is these, the, the, the Bible says that the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. So that, to me, tells me that he's really good at disguising himself as a chameleon. And there are many times that the enemy will have a tactic for my life or for my family's life or for my church that looks really good on the outside. Like, man, this is a no-lose situation. This is perfect for our family. We can't say no to this. If, if I ever, I, have, I wish I learned this when I was younger, but if I ever have a situation where I say, I can't say no to this, I'm in trouble. If there's ever anything that comes up to you, whether it's work, whether it's relationship, whether it's, if, and, and that thought enters your head, man, I can't say no to this. This is too good to be true. You're, you better stop and say, Lord, is this a spirit from you or is this from somewhere else? Because this is, sounds dangerous to me. You can say no to any opportunity. So we got to be people of discernment because false prophets have been sown into the world and we'll move through this pretty quickly. Here's the thing that's important to remember. Deceit rarely, rarely comes from behavioral agreement or overt rebellion. Like the enemy rarely will ever try to just throw us directly into, into rebellion, idolatry, or full-on deception. What he likes to do is he likes to get us to agree with him through conversation. Ephesians 5, 6 through 8 tells us, let no one deceive you with what? Empty words. Where does deception come from? Words. Words. You have to hear this. This is so important. Um, I started hearing this in a political conversation um, over the last few years. There's some, I'll tell you, I listen to him. Glenn Beck. I love Glenn Beck, so I'm sorry if that offends you, but I love him. <laughs> I, love, I love him a lot. And he started to say that what, what has happened in society is politically, they have redefined words. And he, he kept saying this. If you define the words, you win the argument. Whoever defines the word will win the argument, always. So when you take um, a word and you, and you call it liberal, well, liberal should sound like it should be a good thing. We should be liberal in our generosity, liberal with our joy. But what, what the world is took the word liberal and perverted it, now you hear the word liberal and you think, oh, it's the, you know, they're, they're liberal in their values and they have, no, it's not what it's supposed to be at all. But what they did was they changed the definition, so now they win the argument. So what they do is they paint anyone who has conservative values, I'm not going political today, I'm just using this example. Conservative sounds boring, doesn't it? 
You want to conserve. You don't want to grow. You don't want to expand. You want to be stuck in the past. You don't like technology. You want to keep things the way they are. You want to conserve things. So what they've done is they win the argument by setting the definitions. Does this sound familiar from the Bible? The very beginning of man's uh, relationship with the enemy. And what does he do? He comes to Eve and he tries to define the words of the argument. He says, did God really say this? What he was doing was saying, God said this and it means this. But I want you to think it could mean this. The moment she took his definition for the word, it was over. Because she came into agreement with a set of boundaries that were described from the words. So what happens is the enemy, he doesn't come to you and just give you this blatant lie that's ridiculous. and you're like, Oh, that's totally from the devil. He'll come in with something and say, did God really say that he was going to give you a home? Did God really say that your marriage is going to be okay? Did God really say this? Did God really say that? Did God really say it's wrong to do this? And the moment we entertain, well, did, did he really? Well, he said this, but maybe, maybe he didn't mean. The moment we do that, we have come into agreement with the enemy, and we've, we've already opened ourselves to deception. Wow. And it's all through agreement. See, Satan is the, he's the father of lies. He cannot tell the truth. I love how Chris Vallotton says this, and I, I, I have no shame in, in repeating it. The Bible is not even true in the devil's hands. I love that. The Bible's not even true in the devil's hands. When he says the Bible, his motive unties the purpose of the Word of God. And so when the devil uses the Word, he uses the Word against us. How many of you have ever felt him come with the Word? And you're like, man, this is, sound, this is the Word of God. It's got to be. Wait a second. The enemy masquerades as an angel of light. He has no power. The only thing he can do is litigate, argue. He's an attorney. <laughs> you believe a lie and you empower the liar. How many of you have ever had someone telling you a lie and you didn't know they were telling you a lie? But when you look back, you're like, man, they were lying to me. Have you ever been in that situation before? <laughs> man, they just lied to me. If you will look even deeper, there will probably be a moment in that conversation when that person realizes that you believed the lie and their face will give some sort of visible sign of joy, like a, a twinkle in their eye, a little smirk. They're called micro-expressions. They know. <laughs> they know they got you. The moment you believe it, oh, I got them. The enemy loves to come to us and sell us these things that seem good, seem too good to be true, and he's just got these micro-expressions of, oh, they just bought my lie. Now I can tell them anything I want because I have set the argument foundation. Everybody okay? That's why when, when two people are in conflict, they both will fight to tell the person that's going to mediate the conflict their story first. Because if I get my story in first, then I set the foundation of the argument. So I'm going to hurry and tell. So I know when my two boys are fighting and they come to me and they both want to, they, they got to get their word in, you know, like they're both fighting. I stop. Wait a second. I don't want to hear anything that's going on here. I just want to resolve this. And then we, we, I stop and I set the foundation of this is what we're going to do. You're going to tell part. You're going to tell part. I don't let them because that's human nature. I want to set the foundation of the argument. I'm going to win this by getting my word in first. Everyone's still okay. <clears throat> so. The power that Jesus gave to us when he rose from the dead, when he gave us all power and authority, the Bible says that Jesus died, rose from the dead, and he has all power and authority, and then now he gives it to us. It's the ability to come into agreement with his Father. Everyone hear that? The, the power that you and I have is not the ability to perform things with our hands, signs and wonders. That's not what makes us powerful. Our real power is the ability to come into agreement with our Heavenly Father for his definition of things to set the foundation. So when he says that I'm the Lord who heals you, no other argument comes in because God is my healer. There's no other argument. There's no other words that can come in. This is the truth. Everything else is measured against this baseline. Everyone good? In Matthew 18, verse 18 through 20, it says, Truly I say to you that whatever you bind on earth 
will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will already have been loosed in heaven. And he says, again, I say to you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, you can have it. Wow. Agreement. If you agree about it, anything you ask, it shall be done by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. And this is speaking of, um, it's like a contract. He's coming and saying, I'll sign off on your contract. Whatever you two come into agreement with, I'll be the third party. I'll sign off on your contract. I'll be there in the midst with you. I will mediate and see this and see the contract that you've agreed to works. That You and I have such power and authority by what we come into agreement with. The Bible even says that at the Tower of Babel, that they, they decided they were going to build up a, a, a tower to heaven and get to God. We're going to find out where he is. We're going to give him a piece of our minds. And as they begin to build it, what did God say? They're going to do this. Because they have a mind to do it. They have come into agreement that they're going to do this. So this is possible for them, which is unbelievable to me. Like, this story is unbelievable that God says, well, man, they're going to do what they said they're going to do because they've come into unity and agreement. So what did he do? He confused their language so that they could no longer be in agreement with one another. He didn't destroy the tower. He just broke their ability to come into agreement. Agreement is powerful. You, you and I, we have to be really careful what we come into agreement with. And say it again. Whoever defines the words and the language wins the battle for the mind and the thoughts. <clears throat> again, false spirits are rarely obvious. So they have to be spiritually discerned. You and I cannot use intellect. We can't use wisdom to discern spirits. They can only be done spiritually. It can only be done through a spiritual thing. So let's go over a couple of quick things and we'll move to the, to the end, end part that I really want to dive in today. So how do, how do we discern spirits? The, the thing we have to do is ask God, what's the motivation behind what's happening here? It's not, it's not asking about the specific thing going on. It's God, what is the purpose sent behind it? What is the purpose of this thing? What's its motive? If the motive of it is to promote peace or God's kingdom or together, then it is the spirit of Jesus. Jesus told the disciples, he says, hey, whoever scatters is not with me, but whoever gathers is with me. So when a spirit comes in, if that spirit brings closer connections, closer relationships, if it brings understanding, if it brings a resolution to things, and, it's, and it brings peace to the situation, it is always going to be from Jesus. Because He's the Spirit of peace. He is the Prince of peace. Alright? But, if it comes to divide, or if it stirs up strife, or self-promotion, <laughs> then it's from the accuser. Everyone okay? We're going to move on. Sometimes we may not know whether or not something is from God, and that's completely okay. So what we do in that situation, like I said before, we stop, and we don't come into agreement until we talk to the Father. Until we sit down with Him and we say, God, I, I'm, I'm, re- I'm confused right now, and I know you're not the author of confusion, and I know you want me to do the right thing. It, it, there's nothing more that God wants than for us to be in His perfect will completely healthy and whole. He wants this for us. So for us to not involve Him in our decisions is foolish. I mean, it really is. I I can tell you, I've made a lot of decisions that if I would have just asked the Lord and really waited until He gave me an answer instead of what I felt was okay, I'd be a lot better off in in a lot of things in, in my past. We can all say that. So let's not have shame about those things. Let's just do better from here on out. He's forgotten those things if we've repented and put them under the blood. So now, from here on out, God, should I buy this car? Is this wise for our budget? Should I move here? Is this where I need to be? Is this the the work that I need to be working at? You don't have to work where you work. You have a choice. If it's chaos and it's constant fighting and bickering, talk to the Lord, do I need to be here? Or do I need to make peace here? Just talk to the Lord about it. Ask Him. I love, in the Bible it says, they inquired of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, we don't use that word inquire unless it's inquiring minds want to know or national <laughs> inquire. <laughs> but how many, how many of us have 
When's the last time we sat down and inquired of the Lord? I mean, really, God, I have a blank slate. I have no preconceived notions. I have no ideas of what needed to happen here. Here's the situation. Please advise me. Please tell me what to do. Show me the path, and I will walk in it. Like David would pray, lead me in the way everlasting, and I'll go in that way. I'll take that path. Amen? See, these false spirits just want us to come into agreement. Because if we'll come into agreement with them, then they can influence us from here on out. And, and, and it just takes a little bit. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Just a little error now becomes a whole lot of error later. No one may even notice it now. Like, the wheels aren't unbalanced now, but the worse they get unbalanced, and you start feeling it in the car, like, it starts off a little bit. And if you put it on a machine, the machine can say, yeah, it's out of balance. Well, it didn't feel like it. No, but it is. And if you wait, it'll get worse. Well, that's what it is when we come to the Lord and say, Lord, am I out of balance? Show me. Search my heart. See if there's any wicked thing inside of me. Test me, God. Test me. Put me on the machine. Yeah. Test me. You guys okay? All right. Man. Familiar spirits. This is when it becomes tricky. Because we're familiar with what we're familiar with. <laughs> it, we're comfortable. I mean, we, if you grew up hollering and yelling in the house, that's normal. This is normal. Let's holler and yell. I'm just using that because it's kind of funny because we all do it on some level, right? <laughs> but, and then you go to someone else's house and they don't do it and they talk like they're on a, you know, golf channel or something. You're like, man, my house is really different from their house. <laughs> you didn't know it until you went to their house, right? Like, this is, this is normal to us. Or you have a friend come over and they're like, man, your house is crazy. Like, we didn't know it. This is just normal to us. That's the problem with these deceptive spirits is they'll come in a familiar face. They'll come in a familiar feeling or an emotion that we're used to. So there's no alarms. Like, it's an alarm system that gives access to people we're used to seeing. Oh, yeah, they come through. He looks familiar. Yeah, I've seen them before. I've felt that before. We don't, nothing's triggered. No alarms go off. But when something weird comes in, I'm like, whoa, wait a second. What's going on? I've never seen that face before. I've never felt that emotion before. So the enemy comes in as masquerading as something that we're familiar with. And they're called familiar spirits. Biblically, they referred to, it was actually idolatry. The familiar spirits were actually idolatry. And the history of that, it's translated to water skins, wine skins, to necromancer, we'll get into this real quick, just overall, just I want you to know this stuff, all right? Um, spiritual mediums and ancestral idols. Ancestral idols. So the old wineskin, here's how you can be a Christian and have a familiar spirit. We can have something that used to be, um, it used to be obedience to us and it used to require faith to us, but now we just do it without any faith and without any manner of obedience to it and it's now become a, a relig religious tradition we do it just because we've always done it well that is a familiar spirit it doesn't mean we need to throw out that thing that we've always done it just means to, we need to get back to the heart of why we did it in the first place and do it from that position all right let's go through this so how do these religious things become powerless and, and the bible says that anything that's outside of faith is sin anything Anything outside of faith is sin. Let me, for example, if, if, we, if we're really good at, say you're good at getting um, word of knowledge for people, right? And the, the Spirit prompts you regularly with the word of knowledge. What can happen is I can stop relying on the Spirit to give me the word of knowledge, and I can start doing it for myself, which we'll get into in a minute. And what I've done is I've taken something that was a spiritual thing that was awesome, that was a gift from God, and now I've watered it down to religious activity that God's not involved in at all. The example from Scripture is, he says, in the last days, people will come to me and say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We healed the sick. We, we raised the dead. We did all this stuff in your name. And Jesus says, I'm going to look at them and say, I didn't know you. I didn't even know who you were. So get away from me, basically. Depart from me. And so that's, that's the danger in Christianity, is that we can do these things that are amazing. They're, they're awesome. They're not bad things. But when we separate the person 
from the religious activity, the person of Jesus from the religious activity, it becomes idolatry in the same form as if I was worshiping an idol. That's why through the years, the, the Catholic Church has gotten off of sinner because they brought in worship of saints and worship of statues and worship of other things. If you look at the root of where it came from, it started off good. But then they got away from the person of who Jesus was now, around the world, there's a revival happening in the Catholic Church, so th- nothing against that. I'm just saying, this is how it happens. It's, it happens in Pentecostal churches. It happens, in, it happens all over the world, where we do things that are awesome. Our worship can become idolatry. Where Before we know it, it's the music and the sound and the songs and whatever it is, and we're totally disconnected from it. That's why I love that old song by Matt Redman. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come to you, and it's just, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's not about any of this stuff. It's about the heart. And, and that's, that's the best example I can give of, of doing things outside of faith. Now, here's, here's a, a caveat to that. Sometimes you have to do the right thing because you know it's right. Even if you don't feel like it. That doesn't make it religious. That's a trick. Oh, it's re- do you want to stay away from religion so bad that if you do something and you don't really feel the goosebumps, then it's not from God. And so it's a trick to make us lazy Christians where we only do what we feel like doing. And we're no longer believers, but we're feelers. We do what we feel like. Amen? And that's the danger too. So sometimes, like... When, when my kids ask me why, Dad, sometimes I will say this, not always, sometimes I will say, because I said so. A lot of times I'll give a, a, an answer, but sometimes I'll say, just because Dad said so. That's it. And it's the same way in, in our walk with God. Everyone good? All right. Necromancer is a word we definitely don't use. It's not something you see on Facebook or Twitter every day. It's not something we talk about. But basically, that was a person that spoke to the dead. It was a spirit medium. (laughs) It was witchcraft. Literally, it was consulting with psychics, horoscopes, uh uh-oh, card reading, and other common pagan practices of worship. Oh, no. I'll stop for a minute. It's so common nowadays. I mean, you pull up your Yahoo account, and your stupid horoscope crap comes up now. It's unbelievable. I hate it. I'm so I'm starting to hate the internet. I'm just starting to hate it. I'm starting to hate Facebook and everything. I'm like, unplug me, unplug me somewhere. Get me out of here. Thank you. Y'all are perceptive. I didn't. I didn't even know these were still on. I was keeping rhythm. <laughs> First Samuel 15 says rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And insubordination is the same as idolatry. Everybody still with me? Let's not bog down in this. We've got to get through this, all right? Because we need to know this stuff. Figuratively, when we say familiar spirits, it's, it could also be when we talk to our old dead nature. You know your old nature is dead? So to go and talk to your old nature is necromancing. It's talking to the dead. You're a new creation. Stop talking to that person. I I say it all the time. Don't even get that hammer out and loosen any of those nails to check and make sure it's still dead. (laughs) Let's see, can I go here? Don't even check. Leave them dead. Let let, Let the dead bury the dead. Stay there, right? Don't do it. Don't talk to them. I, I, I told you all this a couple of years ago when, when this, this thought really hit me. I used to be, uh, I made, you know, you're young, you make stupid mistakes, and when you're in a church or you're in a really tight community, a lot of people know the things that you do that were wrong or mistakes that you made, things you wish you'd undo. And I would be ashamed. I would feel ashamed for old Jared. Anyone ever felt ashamed of the old you? And so when stories would be brought up or things would come up, I would, I would carry shame. I would feel guilty for something that happened 15, 20 years ago. I'd feel stupid for it. And the Lord says, why are you feeling ashamed? You don't have to answer for old Jared anymore. 
You don't have to answer for him. He's dead. You don't have to give an account for him. You don't have to answer for him. So here's the thing. As long as they're dead, we don't have to answer for them. So let's not talk to the dead. Let's not raise the dead. Let's not uh, bring them back to life. Amen? All right, so the, so this, this familiar spirit, basically in the Bible times, they would have these family idols, literal family idols, that they would pass on to their children. And they were things that actually were, were for the family. It had a, had a special meaning for the family. Is everyone still okay? Yeah. Man, all right. And they would pass these things on. And so for us today, um, let's just move on to it. Um, today that we call them generational curses. It would be the similar kind of thing. It's this, it's this family idol, it's this family weakness that's passed on. Now, when you come to Jesus, that stuff can stop. I mean, it, you don't have to go through this like 12-step program to remove your generational curses from your family. Some people, you may have to go through some stuff counseling just to rewire the way you do life. But when Jesus took care of that stuff, he took care of it. So any kind of counseling or training that we go through is to just get us to think in a new mindset. It's not to get us to go back and deal with those old things. I love how Graham Cook says, God's not dealing with our old nature. He, he doesn't deal with our old nature. He deals with who we are now. He speaks in, and he speaks prophetically into who we are. Everyone still good? All right, let's, let's move on. I have to hit this. Last thing, and this is the big one. Soulish prayers and soulish motives. And will you give me 10 minutes? If not, if you have to leave, I totally get it. I understand. <clears throat> Has anyone heard the term soul, soulish, soul prayer, soul? Raise your hand. I, w- I just wanted to be able to see because we asked this Wednesday and most people had never heard. It. I'm glad we talked about Wednesday, but it's a term that we didn't talk a lot about. And basically, it just means originating from the carnal nature, originating from the soul, the, the will of man. All right? <clears throat> soulish prayers are... Uh, soulish, carnal, fleshly, even demonic prayers of, of agreement. Um, James 4.3 says that you ask and you do not receive because you ask to spend it on your own desires, your own passions. That defines what a soul prayer is. So, what is a soulish prayer? It's spoken from our mind, our will, our emotions. Listen to this. In an attempt to pressure God or the Spirit and soul of another person to move toward a direction we think is best. When we pray soulishly, we, we invite activity from the demonic. They grab hold of our words, they run with them. Everyone okay? This is, we're going to deal with this and just go for it today. So, When we pray soulishly, we're not being led by Holy Spirit and we're not trusting God. We're trusting in our own power and choosing to walk in our own wisdom. Soulish prayers are almost always followed by actions. So sooner or later, we find ourselves not just trying to manipulate through the prayers, but we also add action to our prayers, and we try to influence that person. So I want to give you some examples of some soulish prayers. All right? Because... It's very important that as we move forward, that we pray from purity, and that we have pure motives. And this is t- all testing the spirits. God, am I praying your will, or am I praying my will? All right? So here's, here's an example. Um, say a man, a single man, has a desire for a single woman. All right? That's never happened in the history of the world, has it? <laughs> and he wants to win her affections, Right? So what he does is he goes to the Lord because it's, he feels, dude, God, this is the girl for me. I'm in love with this girl. God, would you please make this girl love me? Please, God, make this girl like me. Get her attention. God, give her dreams of me as her husband. <laughs> Sounds foolish, but we, it can go both ways. You know, <laughs> ladies can do this as well. So what will happen is, Let's say this girl has zero affection towards this young man. No desire for him. What will happen? 
because of the spirit of it, when we pray those things, we're sending out, we're giving invitation to demonic, deceptive spirits to grab hold of her soul and entangle her. Now she may, not always, but she may start thinking of this young man and she's like, man, I've never thought of him like that before. I've never been attracted to him before. This is a soulish prayer. And now she begins to develop feelings for someone that she never was supposed to have feelings for. And it came from a soul prayer. Is that okay? Let's give another example. This is, um, let's use a church example. We'll do a couple of these. So say a church needs a youth pastor. Their youth pastor leaves. And they had just came back from youth camp. And the person that spoke at camp was an amazing speaker. And so they decide, hey, this guy's gifted. Their family's awesome. I want them to be my youth pastor. So what, what the church does, the leadership, they begin to say, that's our man. That, they're supposed to be our youth pastor. So they'll say things like, God, please give this young man a passion for this city. Give this young man a passion for our young people. God, give him dreams and a passion for our church. So then what they do, everyone good? Let's stay focused, all right? They will, they will send an invitation to the youth pastor to come speak at their church. And the youth pastor will say yes, because he's a youth pastor and he needs money. You can laugh, it's funny. Hey, this is extra income, this is extra. Hey, I'm taking you on a date night this week. He says, yes, I'm going to go speak for this church. He gets there, and he's overwhelmed with the love that the church has for him. Why does the church love him? Because all the leadership has been talking him up. So the young youth pastor's up there, and after service, he's, you know, he feels completely loved and feels comfortable and at home. And he goes to the leadership. This is a true story. He goes to the leadership and says, hey, um, have you guys been, been praying for me to, to come here to the church? Well, we sure have. And the, the youth pastor tested the spirits and discerned that this was from their will, from their soul. And he said to them, well, I've, I loved being here. I felt at home. It was great. But God did not call me here. And he cut it off because he tested the spirits. He knew that there was a draw and it wasn't God's draw. It was subtle. And it's so hard, especially in those situations. Maybe it was a raise or a better opportunity. It's hard in those situations to test the spirits. But that's when we have to stop and say, wait, this seems too good. What's going on here? Let's, let's use another soul prayer. Say you're having a conversation after church. Man, worship was so good today. I know, right? Worship was awesome. Man, I love that song that they sing. Oh, me too. I like it when she sings it. Yeah, I do too. She's got a great voice. I wonder why she doesn't sing more often. I don't know. It, these things happen subtly. Well, well maybe, maybe um, Kyle or the worship leader, whomever it is, maybe they're, maybe they're lacking in leadership in this area or whatever. You know what we need to do? We need to just pray that God will give Kyle a greater ability to be creative and more open to people being part of the team. And so will you pray with me? Will you come into agreement and we'll pray that? And now what we're doing is we're creating a soul prayer that we think is good. The intentions may not have started out wrong, but they didn't need to be said in conversation. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, so-and-so on the worship team starts feeling like, man, I really want to lead more. And I don't know why, it's just started feeling this way. I've never really wanted to lead. I was happy being a background vocalist. But now I want to lead songs. Now what we've done is we've caused a problem because we didn't keep our mouth shut. You still okay? <laughs> and, it, and it seems innocuous, it seems simple, it seems like it's not a big deal. But these things, they get legs quickly. And we'll get into this more in the next few weeks there. Uh, on the stronghold that, we're, that we've been battling in this church, and it's been 40 years the church has been here, I think we've zeroed in on what the Spirit is, and so that's why we're going after these things. Everyone okay? That's why we're digging. Huh. I'll use one for me. My dad is an amazing preacher, and he's a preacher. I'm not a preacher per se like my dad. I would teach more, and my dad's fiery and stuff. So what would happen if... If I got up here one week and I was real fiery, and you, you were in the coffee shop, or you went and ate dinner, you're like, man, I really liked it. He was fiery today. I, I liked the way he preached. It was more preaching today, and I missed the preaching. Oh, I like it too. I mean, I like it 
all the other times too, but man, today was really special. I wonder why he doesn't let go more like more often. Well, maybe he's insecure or maybe whatever. We fill in these things that are irrelevant and we say, well, let's pray for pastor that he'll be more fiery. And what we're doing is we're shaping things according to our own desires. Is everyone okay? We can do these things in our own family. We can do these things in our marriages. We can do these things in our kids' education. We can do them into our children. So the thing is, what we have to do is say, God, is this from you or is this not from you? If it's not from you, tell me now. I don't want to stay this way. I don't want to get into it and read it now, but in, in, I think it's in Luke, Luke 9. Jesus is coming back from, from Samaria and the people didn't receive him very well. And the disciples are really upset about this. They think Jesus should have gotten a little bit more respect than he got. And so they're going to take care of it. And so they go to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, these people aren't treating you well. Can we call fire down from heaven and just kill them? I mean, there's biblical precedence to this <laughs> quite a few times. And Jesus turns to them and he says, you don't know what spirit you're of right now. You're not from my spirit. So if we're sitting here today and say, man, I don't, I don't think I pray soulishly or I, I won't let that happen. Let me give you one more example. It's in, in uh, Matthew 16. Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? Who am I? Who, who do you say I am? And they go, well, some people say that you're Moses. Some people say you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Some people say this and that. He goes, I, I don't want to hear what other people say. Who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up and says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is very pleased with him. I can just see him patting him on the, patting him on the back, giving him high five hugs. That's awesome that you recognize that, Peter. That was not revealed to you by the flesh. That was revealed to you by the spirit. And because of that, up on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against this. Highlight of Peter's life. Woo! He's like, not only that, I'm going to call you rock and upon this rock. So he's feeling really awesome. Very next sentence, Jesus tells him, now I've got to go and suffer the things that I've been telling you about and I've got to go die. And Peter goes, never. That will never happen. Over my dead body are you going to die. And what does Jesus do? Highest moment of Peter's life, immediately, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you do not have a mind of the Spirit. You just got revealed to you by the Spirit that I'm the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So don't think that any of us are, are above deception or above soulish desires. Because Peter just went from being in the Spirit and recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, the Spirit of God revealing him something that's never been declared like that before to... I'm not going to let you die and, and pay for the penalty of sin for everyone's life. And Jesus says, you're a stumbling block to me. You don't even have a mind, the mind of the Spirit. That fast. So how do we discern or test our prayers? Just simple. Ask God questions. <laughs> All right, we're going to close with this. Ask God questions. God, is, this, is the motivation of this prayer love or is this an attempt for me to force my will on you or someone else? I believe with all my heart God can give you a burden for someone else. I, I, I know He does it. Pray for them. They're, they're struggling here or they're brokenhearted here. But very rarely are those things ever to be brought up with, other, with them or with other people. It's for you and God to pray about. And if in prayer God says... I give you permission to go and tell the person that's going through this, God will give you permission. But other than that, we should keep our mouths shut. Because what will happen is if we mention it to someone else or allude to it to someone else and they come into agreement with it, all of a sudden we've created an opportunity for a firestorm of demonic activity to happen. Everyone okay? Last thing. God, is this desire or prayer in agreement with your will? And then don't stop there. If it's not in agreement with your will, discipline me. Correct me. We have to love discipline. It is absolutely important that we love discipline. We're trained as little kids to hate it. Because we think of it as punishment. We don't realize that it's really for our benefit. 
And the Bible says that God disciplines those He loves as a good father disciplines His children. So you and I have to become really comfortable with God spanking our bottoms every now and then. And we have to be okay with someone calling us out if our attitude or motive is wrong. We got to be okay with it. We have to be correctable. We have to be able to be confronted by God and by the people that we love around us. Look around the room. We all love each other. We're on each other's team. Mandy and I have a thing. We give each other a thumbs up whenever we're leaving somewhere and she's in the car. And it means I'm on your team. I'm on your team, babe. Wherever you go, I'm on your team. We started this when we were dating. I'm on your team. I hate Aggies, but I'm on your team. I'm on your team, babe. (laughs) So we're on each other's team in the room. She's on my team. The people around you, we're on a team. We're, We're trying to be the best that we can be. Because the earth is crying out right now for the sons and daughters to know who they are and to be revealed. (laughs) The earth is groaning for you and I to come to the realization of who Jesus Christ is and who we are in Him. Crying out for it. Amen. Why don't you stand? We'll close out. Thank you for being patient. I know I went longer than normal today. Alright, here's the thing. You know what will keep us from deception more than anything? Our highest value in life has to be to please God. And whatever He says has to be the most encouraging thing. Because if, if I get my value from Him and Him alone, then no one can flatter me into error no one can talk me into deception because you know what? If God's not saying, if Daddy God's not, not saying what they're saying, then I reject it. No, 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 not today. <laughs> not in my house. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so why don't you just talk to the Lord? Just ask Him to search, search your heart. God, we ask that you come now. Holy Spirit, come do what you love to do. Bring things to light. <laughs> you illuminate things, Holy Spirit. We open ourselves. We want to be convicted, God, if we've done things wrong, if we've thought wrong things, if we've partnered or agreed with wrong things. We want you to convict us. We do not want to stay there because we really love you. (laughs) We really do love you, God. We really want to hear, well done. Would you just make a personal altar right where you're at, standing, kneeling? If you want to come to the front, you can, but just ask the Lord to search you just for a few moments. We'll pray again at the end for needs or whatever, if you have them, if you need prayer. But we need to make this a place of prayer right now and let the Lord search us. God, we ask that you create in us a clean and a pure heart. Lord, for the Bridge Church, 
for those that have gone before us, the 40 years the church has been here, God, we want to break through. We want to be the ones that press through this thing, break through this ceiling, God. That breaks agreement with the spirit of deception, God. Give us eyes that burn for you alone, God. Tune our hearts to your heart, God. Train our ears for your voice, God. Father, I ask now that you would stir up in everyone here an increased gift of discernment, God. Now, forgetting what is behind us. (laughs) Father, there's a new way for us to operate. Teach us to inquire of you. (laughs) Why don't you pray that? Teach me to inquire of the Lord. We humble ourselves before you, God. If your relationship with with God is broken or you're separated from Him or you don't have a relationship with Him, don't leave today without fixing that, okay? We have people that are going to meet you here at the front. They want to pray with you. Jesus came to give you abundant life. Abundant life, full life, came to shift the whole circumstances that you're in. So don't leave without having a connection with him. If you need a miracle, you need prayer for healing, financial, whatever, you need a miracle today, come up to this banner over here or come here to the front. Someone, our prayer team is going to meet you here. And we believe that miracles still happen. They never stopped. They still happen. And they're increasing. Amen.